Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake. And I have uh, two actually really exciting guests with me today. One, you guys may all know, Mr. Matt Moore, the president of YBT. Matt, say hello to everyone. Evan, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic on this early, early morning. We also have a really exciting guest. I'm going to jump into it because I know he has a lot of exciting things to say and exciting things that I believe are going to be uh, things that will challenge you. I think these are going to be things that are going to kind of hopefully change your perspective a little bit. And so as we kind of go through the podcast and, and as we bring in different guests, this is a guest that he actually reached out to us, but I'm really excited to have him on here because I think it's perfect for our audience. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce him. His name is John G. Miller. Uh, he's spent his life becoming an expert in one area, and that's his opinion. Uh, he has one clear mission, helping organizations make personal accountability a core value. He's the author of QBQ, with an exclamation point, the question behind the question, flipping the switch, outstanding, 47 ways to make your organization exceptional, and co-author of Raising Accountable Kids. You can find out more about John at QBQ.com. John lives in Denver, Colorado with his wife, Karen, six daughters, one son, plus a pug named Nug, a Shiba Inu named Mabel, one ball python, seven box turtles, an Australian lizard named Wizard, a parrot named Popeye, and a horse named Roxy. Karen and John also have seven grandchildren. And lastly, John serves on the board of directors of the Denver Rescue Mission, an organization dedicated to feeding the homeless. John, first of all, thank you. And second of all, you're a busy man. Uh, well, I tend to be with seven kids, seven grandchildren, and, and lots of animals and things to do. But uh, glad to be here today, gentlemen. Evan and Matt, thanks for having me on. And this actually started because Matt hit our web store at QBQ.com and purchased a whole slug of QBQ books. And I just reached out back to him and said, whoa, what's going on here? Thanks so much, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew Evan needed to read this book, so I bought a bunch of them. Well, <laughs> he does. Well, <laughs> you'll I, know, you'll... I guess it doesn't show, but uh, I actually have read the book. I actually read it a, a little while ago. And uh, Thank you. When, you, when you mentioned uh, that he had reached out, I was like, holy cow, the QBQ guy. This is awesome. This is, this is exactly what our guys need to hear. But Matt, tell, tell everybody why you decided to buy the books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm always looking for great content to share with, with the members and, and stuff that I think will be applicable. Um, I had heard about the book years ago uh, from my father. Um, my father manages an organization of 2,000 employees, and he loves this book. He has utilized this book uh, within his company. Uh, and literally, um, I don't hear my dad talk uh, highly of books very often, but this was definitely one of them. And he gave it to me uh, years ago. And so I knew I had a bunch of copies, but I had to get more. Um, and so I guess it was just, you know, by destiny that uh, we would have this interview. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, kudos to you, John, for paying attention to your uh, to your order store as well. That's uh, very hands on. I, I love well, it when when people are involved like that. Let me make a point on that, if I could, Evan. I am a salesperson first. I mean, aside from being a husband and a father, I'm talking professionally now. I am a salesperson first, and an author and speaker and trainer second. And that's when a lot of that's how a lot of people actually fail in their businesses, small businesses, large businesses, is they forget they're actually a salesperson before anything else. And so I manage my own web store along with Kristen, who works with me. She happens to be the oldest of our seven children. She's a millennial. She's in her mid-30s, and she um, goes all over the country talking about personal accountability, as I do, because that's what QBQ is all about. But it is important to remember that uh, everybody needs to sell. Selling makes the world go round. Absolutely. I tell my team, without the sales, all the other stuff that we do doesn't necessarily matter. we got to be able to sell the right. stuff. So you're, you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head. First of all, I want you to dive a little bit into QBQ is because I don't know that our audience completely knows about it. So what does QBQ stand for and sure. how did you come up with that idea? And then I want to hit a little bit on, on how you talked about your daughter being a millennial. You bet. QBQ stands for the question behind the question. That's the question behind the question. And here's the history of it. And I think it's important to know that it's organic. I went to Cornell, but I didn't develop it there or steal it from fellow Cornell grads like Tom Peters or Ken Blanchard, Blanchard, even though they're they're like 20 years ahead of me. This is something I created by selling leadership and management training for a decade. From 1986 to 1995, I sold management and leadership training in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and um, I became pretty good at it. I was the top salesperson for the last five years there. So I sold more training than anybody else, which means I sat in more thousands of hours, more hours than anybody on the team, the the team that I worked with. I did a lot of listening, and I started hearing management people and other types uh, ask lousy questions like, why do we have to go through all this change? When is someone going to train me? And who made the mistake? And when will that department do its job right? And I remember thinking, there's got to be a better question here. And one day I went out and I taught to a group this idea, the question behind the question. And I said, hey, let's turn questions around. Instead of asking, when is someone going to coach and train me, which is nothing but whining, what about asking, how can I develop myself? What can I do to develop my own God-given talents? And I started teaching that kind of a message. Instead of asking, why do we have to go through all this change, let's ask, how can I adapt to the changing world? And I taught it to a group, came back a few months later, and the VP of operations and the VP of HR were sitting in a meeting, and they're using it. They're talking about the question behind the question. This was 1994. So I left the organization I was with, went off and started talking about the QBQ, because one of the group early groups shortened it to the QBQ, because we love acronyms. And it's all about personal accountability and how to eliminate some very human traps in our lives. So that was over 20 years ago. And a few years after that, we moved to Denver, Colorado in 1997. And all we've done for all these years is run around this great country speaking on personal accountability in the QBQ. That's what the books at QBQ.com are all about. And then, of course, about nine years ago, it's hard to believe when she was 25, Kristen, our oldest, joined us. And I started sending her out to schools to speak on QBQ, and she quickly took on corporate work. I love, first of all, that you have your family involved in the business. I I don't know how people work with family. I I definitely admire it. But I think it's awesome that she kind of caught on to the passion that you have for this and really latched on to that. And uh, I want to kind of circle back a little bit because you said that she was a millennial. You said she was in her mid-30s. That's that's where I am right now. Um, I'm actually right on the line 
of being a millennial. And yes. so I love that the question behind the question talks about, you know, stop the whining, stop asking what other people should be doing and taking that personal accountability. But at the same time, I feel like that the millennial generation, which which has been defined as the entitlement generation, um, yes. that it's almost like this book was written specifically for them. But the funny thing about this is you were you were kind of hinting on this stuff well before that generation came along. So would you say that the millennial generation is not necessarily one of those things that is a is an anomaly per se, but it, this is well, just something that it, it just kind of happens with the younger generations. Here's what's funny about my generation, let's say, that talks negatively about the millennial generation. We raised them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, we created them. We're the ones that, as Dave Ramsey and I have talked about many times on Dave Ramsey's show, we are the ones that gave them participation trophies for just showing up. So mm-hmm. I think maybe my generation needs to be asking, what could I have done to have been a better mom or dad? That's what one reason Karen and I wrote, my wife Karen and I wrote, uh, the Raising Accountable Kids book. Yeah. Because in this current world that is loaded with entitlement thinking and, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme and whining and, you know, to get practical, you've got young people who are on the, on the job for two months and they're already expecting a promotion. They're less patient than prior generations. And there's nothing wrong with impatience. I am an impatient person. That's one reason I've succeeded as a salesperson. But we still need to recognize that really good stuff in our life only comes when we work for it, when we earn it, when we put our nose to the grindstone. All of that can be summed up with the phrase personal accountability. You know, every day I will get out of bed saying, what can I do to be my best? That's a question behind the question. That's a QBQ. How can I contribute to the world today? What can I do to serve others? If I ask those kinds of questions, I'm going to avoid blame, victim thinking, procrastination. And those are the three traps that we teach in QBQ. And by the way, Matt mentioned uh, years ago, his father gave him the QBQ book. I'm honored, Matt. I want everybody to know the book has just been relaunched for the fifth time. The fifth edition is out. Penguin Random House our publisher is so pleased that this message keeps selling. They just keep re-releasing. And every time we relaunch the book, it's a little bit better because there is no book that can't be improved. So we always go back to the content and sharpen it up. Anyway, QBQ is all about personal accountability. And Evan, really, it's for any generation. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of what I was trying to hint at is, you know, uh, you, you talked about going all the way back to like 1986 when you were when you were talking about doing leadership training. I'm sure a lot of those things that those those cues that you were seeing were things that were helping you to, to develop this. But I think that's just something that we go through as uh, as we progress in our careers and as we try to um, get a little bit further or uh, try to become leaders is is we we start to get to a point where like, all right, I'm a leader, right? I'm, I'm the guy in charge now. I'm the manager. I'm doing all this stuff. So everyone should do stuff underneath me. And I, I love how your book talks about servant leadership and how you almost kind of flip that on its head, where is I'm in this position of leadership to help you do your job. So I'd love for you to kind of dive into that a little bit and talk about what servant leadership means behind the whole question behind the question sure. theology. Interesting that you bring that up because it's actually the companion book to QBQ, Flipping the Switch, where we talk about uh, servant leadership. And I've got about 100 oxymorons I love to share with groups when I speak. But, you know, an oxymoron is, you know, words that clash. Most people come up with things like jumbo shrimp, 
um, you know, pretty ugly, pretty <laughs> ugly, you yeah. know, cu- country music, you know, those things like that. The point we make in flipping the switch is servant leadership is not an oxymoron. Those words do not conflict. And, and we all know this stuff, but here's the beauty of QBQ. It gives us a way of being, becoming a servant leader. It's easy to say, be a servant leader. Well, okay, here's, a, here's not, here's what a servant leader does not do. A servant leader does not ask, why aren't my people motivated? When are they going to come to work on time? Why can't we find good people? When is HR going to find us better people? A good servant leader asks, what can I do to better get to know my people on an individual basis? How can I help each person reach their personal goals? Because you know what? That's the only reason we work. We work to reach personal goals. Hopefully our organization's goals are in line with our personal goals and support each other. But we don't work to work. We work to reach personal goals. And that's what a great manager does. They ask, how can I help you reach your personal goals? And of course, this classic QBQ, what can I do to be a better coach for you? You know, Matt, Mm -hmm. if you're on my team, the only question I should be asking is, what can I do to be a better coach for you? That doesn't mean we don't confront and counsel and coach and terminate if we have to. But really good managers are always asking personal accountability kind of questions. In other words, they're looking mirror. Before they blame their team, they say, the buck stops here. What can I do to improve my management skills? You know, I, I think as a, also as a, a Y generation, um, one of the things that I've used, uh, especially after reading your book years ago, uh, to grow and to learn uh, has just been the art of questioning. Uh, I think that's one thing that I, I kind of grabbed from your book uh, from the very start. And I, what I found is <clears throat> that when I when I learned to question, not only am I keeping myself accountable and, and helping with that, but I've kind of, it, it's almost like a byproduct of discovering yourself. And it, it creates that critical thinking. And I think so mu- so often my generation uh, lacks the ability to, um, you know, think critically uh, and ask those, those questions. Uh, do you think that the QBQ can help uh, people or a generation in general uh, with not just a personal accountability, but to think critically? Matt, I do. And I also think there's another word that goes with this. People who don't grow are incurious, which is a fancy way of saying they're not curious. Curious people, learners, are people that are curious. So they're trying to figure out all the time, what makes people succeed? Hey, there's a person over there that's achieving some goals that I admire. I'm going to go over and talk to that person. I'm going to pick their brains. Of course, sometimes you find out slim pickings because (laughs) because. What you find out is the person who's succeeding is just doing the fundamentals. They're getting up early, they're working hard, they're loving their family, and then they're getting up the next day working hard, blah, blah, blah. But the person who learns is curious and uh, questions of others as well as themselves. So let's just say, let's say I'm a salesperson and I have a bad year, well, or a bad quarter or a bad month. Well, that's the time to look in the mirror and say, okay, what could I have done to have been more creative this month? How could I have done a better job this year? Instead of asking questions like, why are our prices so high? When is uh, shipping going to get the products out on time? Why doesn't my manager give me more coaching? When are we going to get new products? See, all these questions that we call IQs, incorrect questions, they focus outside of me. So it's just another way of blaming the world for my results. But a real personal, a real accountable person is going to pause and self-reflect and be curious and say, okay, what could I have done to have been more effective this past month? Oh, I know what I could have done. I could have done that, that, and that. Good. Now I'll start doing that. And that's what learning is all about. As we say in the QBQ book, learning equals change. 
Learning doesn't equal listening to an audio, reading a book, going to a training session. Learning equals change. If I haven't changed, I haven't learned. And learners are curious people. That's good. You know, I love how you kind of teed that up to my next question because what QBQ is is about asking the right questions instead of the wrong questions with it ultimately leading to action. And you got a couple of quotes in here in your book I want to read to you, and I'd love to get your thoughts on them. Uh, it says, action, even when it leads to mistakes, brings learning and growth. Inaction brings stagnation and atrophy. Action leads us towards solutions. Inaction, at its best, does nothing and holds us in the past. Action requires courage. Inaction often indicates fear. Action builds confidence. Inaction doubt. A friend said, it's better to be the one who's told to wait than who waits to be told. The whole book, and I encourage everybody to make sure they read it because I think first of all, you got to learn to ask yourself the right questions, but then ultimately comes down to the action part. And I think that's the hardest part to do is the action. So what would you say to somebody that reads the book and is just like, yeah, I get it. I'm asking the wrong questions, but then there's this giant disconnect for them of what the what what action, or they're just afraid to take the action. See, the QBQ, when we build a better question, it has some guidelines, and I think I should just cover them quickly. Sure. The better question begins with what or how. So we don't want to ask why questions. Why is this happening to me? Victim thinking. We don't want to ask when questions. When will they solve the problem? That's procrastination. And we don't want to ask who questions, like who dropped the ball? Who made the mistake? Who came up with that dumb idea? Because that's all about blame and finger pointing. So what QBQ teaches is avoid those why, when, and who questions and ask questions that begin with what or how. And the next step is to put an I in it, the personal pronoun I. Every time I'm on Dave Ramsey's show, he always closes with, so John, what's the number one takeaway for people from uh, QBQ? I always say the same thing because it's truth. I can only change me. Everybody's trying to fix somebody else at home or at work, and the day they let it go and say, well, what can I do to change me, life is much, much better in all ways. So the QBQ always contains the word I, not they, not you, not others. It's about me changing me. And then lastly, that third guideline is what you just touched on, Evan, action. QBQ begins with what or how, contains an I, focuses on getting stuff done. So every QBQ you ever hear is going to sound like this. What action can I take today? What can I do differently? How can I contribute? Well, implied in that and overtly, is action, getting stuff done. So what I find with most people when they read QBQ, first of all, they need, need to read it again. And that's why we put on the last page, repetition's a motor of learning, so read the book again. I've had more people say, John, I read the book again because you told me to. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, they, you know, they, then they come to QBQ.com and listen to my audio there if they want. Or they see us in a live speaking session, or they go through our formal training inside their company. It takes repetition, but what begins to happen is our thoughts change. That's what QBQ it shapes the does. That's, it shapes the way I think. It's, it shapes the way I view myself, my colleagues, my family, my world, and the events around me that are out of my control. So the minute I start changing the way I think, then I can start changing the way I feel. My thoughts drive my emotions, and my emotions drive my behaviors. It's very much a cognitive approach, but you don't have to be a psychologist. Just do it. Ask the question, what can I do today to be more effective? And since we believe the answers are in the questions, you will get answers. And that's when you do something. And that's taking peace. So I find very few people who read QBQ and then close the book and are stymied. 
they tend to have many ideas of what they can do differently. I just felt like that was a sermon. That was great. <laughs> well, my dad was a pastor for four years. <laughs> but I also have to say he was Cornell wrestling coach, and that's where Chapter 16 in QBQ comes from, which is all about, he used to say, you must be good enough to beat the ref, the referee. Because uh-huh. at Cornell, as the wrestling coach, he always taught his boys, never blame the official for your loss. Always ask, what could I have done differently? He didn't know he was teaching the QBQ. I later, later in life, I labeled it, and I said, you know what? Let's stop blaming the wind. Let's stop blaming the world. Let's stop blaming the referee. And let's say, what could I have done differently today? That puts me on the path to accountability. So I, I get a lot of my teachings from my dad, who was both a pastor and a wrestling coach. Yeah, that's great. Well, one of the things that you said earlier was that I, only I can change me. And that, that hits right on one of the things that we've been kind of pushing a little bit on this podcast is that you're only capable of being the best version yourself. No one else can be that. But at the same time, you can't be uh, the best version of someone else. The best that you'll achieve is second best. And the analogy we use is right. like there's only one Elvis Presley. There, there's only going to be hmm. one. There's a lot of impersonators. But there will never be another Elvis Presley. And until – he comes back to life and starts creating new things. There's no one that's going to be able to change what he did. And what we want to challenge our group to do is figure out who you are and be the best version of that. Because when you can do that and you're asking those right questions of, you know, how can I, how can I do this better? Or how can I get involved? Or, you know, what, what could I have done more? You start asking those questions. That's leading you to be that better version of yes. yourself. And the difference between you and me is I know exactly where I was the day Elvis died. Thanks for that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I get August it. 16th, it is the uh, Young Businessman of Tulsa podcast. I was 19, but that's an important point. I'm 58, almost 59, and let's take it over to parenting for a minute. We find uh, a lot of young parents will reach out on Facebook for knowledge. Come on. Yeah. There's nothing there. Here's what I want you Have to you do, young parents. Have you been reading my Facebook? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> young parents, and it, and it applies to all walks of life. If you're a millennial on the job, if you're a young person, please, course, buy the books and search for answers on the, online and all those things and go to seminars. But also, identify people who have won, who have succeeded, who have done well. People you admire. Yeah, they might have gray hair. That doesn't make them dumb. That might make them brilliant or at least wise. Mm-hmm. Go to those older folks and sit at, their, sit at their feet and ask a lot of questions. That's how I was trained back in the 80s was to look around. Who's, who's doing the thing I want to do? And then ask them questions and learn from them. Uh, that's, that's awesome because the one thing we drive at our group uh, and at our luncheons and our events is that uh, this idea of mentorship. And, you know, you talk about parenting. But parenting is, is a lot like mentorship. And and when we want to influence culture, I mean, especially as a group, the YBT, influencing our community here in Tulsa, uh, I always tell our men, like, our culture that we want to create or the culture that we currently have is dependent on how we mentor or the abundance of mentor. Because if there's, if there's not any of that mentorship or that baton passing going on, uh, then the culture that we desire may not actually... Uh, choose to survive or even exist. Yeah. So I think a lot of those principles, am I correct in my thinking? I, mean, I haven't read the parenting book, but uh, as far as your content, would you associate that with mentorship? Well, yeah, sure. Parent is the greatest of all, parenting is the greatest of all leadership positions. 
And in that Raising Accountable Kids book, one couple points we make, but I'll just make this one key point that just blows people's socks off because it's so anti-worldly. We make a point that your child, my child, is a product of my parenting. My child is a product of my parenting. And there's a period at the end of that sentence. So what we're talking about there is it's not Hollywood's fault. It's not President Trump's fault. It's not President Obama's fault. It's not Bush's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not your pastor's fault. It's not the Girl Scout, Boy Scout leader's fault. And it's not your child's friend's fault. My child is a product of my parenting. So before we can even you know, be mentored, Matt, before we can even learn from older parents, we better take that truth to heart because that's pure personal accountability. No excuses parenting. If my kid is not behaving, if my child is not growing into what I want my child to grow into, and I'm not talking about telling a 25-year-old they should be a lawyer when they want to be a rock musician. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about as you're building children from the age of zero to 18, if your child is off track, stop looking at the world and start looking in the mirror. Especially for the, the listeners here, they're probably just starting families and they're, they're in that yes. beginning phase of life and, and they're just like, it's just this little little thing, this little bundle. Like, like they don't know essentially what that child is capable of, but I think it really comes down to, and for me it was kind of a gut check, that I am this sole influence on my sons. You have... Was it seven, six daughters, seven daughters? Yeah, just six daughters six and a daughter-in-law now. Six daughters. So, you know, I've got women everywhere. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm on the opposite end of that. i got two boys, but what I've found is whenever, if I'm gone on a business trip or whatever else, the kids are always asking about me. But if my wife goes away, and it's, it's nothing against her, that like they almost forget, and she gets like really offended about by that. And, and it's not because they don't love her or anything else like that. It's just... The role that I have in their lives is so important, and just taking that time. I, I have one son who's really heavy on quality time, and so for him, mm-hmm. if we're just playing cards, if we're just fishing, if we're doing those things, it doesn't mm. even have to be a conversation. If I'm just there and he has my attention, I might as well just wrap my arms around him and hug him for like two hours because that's what it feels like to him. And just, oh, that's great. Just the amount of importance that it takes to, to be that parent. And lucky for me, I was able to kind of identify that early. And I'm, so I hope that the listeners are taking note of that. If they have young children, the important role that they play, not just as leaders in the community and leaders in organizations and, and leaders uh, in the home, you are also a mentor to your children. And your opinion, your recognition of them is one of the most things that they are looking for. Sure. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, just take the con- the concept of catch- catching people doing something right, praising yeah. people on the job. What Since when would that not apply at home? So as I've been in the training business now since 1986, I see all kinds of parallels between the business world, managing people and parenting it, and being just my holistic life, my in all that I am. Personal accountability comes into play, whether it's in my financial life. That's what Dave Ramsey's talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're out of out of control in your spending and you're in debt, stop blaming your spouse. That's why the QBQ book is required reading for Dave Ramsey's staff because he knows that before I can ever get on top of my finances, I need to start engaging in personal responsibility. So it just applies in all areas of my life. So we can talk about moms and dads, but we're also talking in many ways about managers and leaders. Yes. And this is exactly how our parenting book came about. I was out teaching QBQ in the business world and, of course, 80% of every audience has kids, and they'd come up to me and go, oh, man, I can use this at home. 
do you have it in a parenting format? And I, and I, you know, for a while, a long time, I'd say, no, we don't. But finally, my wife and I decided to take QBQ and apply it to parenting. Good stuff. Yeah, no, I'm going to have to check that one out. Uh, I'm a little late to the game reading it, but I'm sure that uh, as I get into those teenage years, I'm going to be leaning very heavily on it. Yeah, they need to go to qbq.com for raising accountable kids. So if any of our listeners uh, have kids or families, just start now. you got to check it out. Yeah, one thing I want to ask you real quick, I want to kind of turn it a little bit because there's one question that I haven't gotten to yet, and I want to make sure that we get it in before we close this up, is you talked a little bit about the victim mentality. And I know that... You know, it's real easy to fall into that victim mentality where just as a human being, you, you're kind of the woe is me. Like it, everything bad always happens to me. There's nothing that I can do about it. And it gets to a point where, you know, further on in life, they just embrace that. And it just it just becomes a part of their 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 personality or what they, they think of themselves. So what would you say to somebody that would be essentially trapped in that victim mentality? How sure. does how do you get out of that? Because I know that well, that's something that can be really sticky. Absolutely. There's so many different directions I could go with that question, but let's talk about the current world. We have organizations and groups and political leaders that are actually wanting other people to feel like a victim. And I put on Facebook the other day, if you want to follow us on Facebook, we are the QBQ, T-H-E-Q-B-Q, this question, which is worse, playing the victim or encouraging people to be victims? I think probably they're equally bad. See, I'm a victim when I'm mugged. If I'm walking down the streets of Denver at 11 p.m. and I go down an alley, you know what? If I'm mugged at that moment, I guess you could say I'm stupid. <laughs> but, but I'm also, at that moment, I'm a victim. Fine, I'm a victim. But more often than not, we're not victims. But we've been told we are. Yeah. We need safe spaces on college campuses. We need to avoid getting, getting offended. Yeah. We need to protect ourselves. I mean, this day and age, people are offended left and right over everything. And that's part of the victim thinking mentality. But Okay, now that I've given the, the speech, victim thinking is usually taught in families. And ch- children are allowed to grow up to be, a, you know, a whiner or a complainer, or they've got parents that do that, and they just start emulating their parents back to that whole mentoring thing. Here's the key with victim thinking. When I play victim, who am I, who am I serving? And I don't answer because a lot of people say, oh, I'm just serving myself. And I tell every group, and Kristen tells them the same things when she speaks. No, when I play victim, I am serving no one. I am serving nobody. I'm not serving myself. I'm not serving my family. I'm not serving my customers and my colleagues. How am I serving? How am I contributing? How am I making a difference when I'm wallowing in, why is this happening to me? And why is life so unfair? I've got a friend named Kevin Brown. We quote him in the Raising Accountable Kids book. He said, life, he says, life is fair. Bad things happen to all people. Mm. But see, so many, so often we adopt this thinking that life isn't fair. You know, I make X, but that guy makes three X. I should get part of his three X. And that's socialism. And I don't embrace socialism, but we won't go any further with that. I do embrace work. The only reason I'm able to be chatting with you gentlemen today and talking to your listeners, what a blessing, is because in 1986, not only did I have great coaching by my mentor, but I had the desire to sit at a desk in a furnace room in a home in a basement in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, and make 30 or 40 phone calls a day to people who didn't want to talk to me. They're called executives. And I pushed my way in the door for meetings, and I sold more training than anybody ever had. That's called work. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating a fact. Work begets results. 
we must engage in work. And one of the ways to kill that victim thinking is get to work. Get to work. Amen. Go make a difference. Go contribute. Go earn a living. Go earn love. Go earn gratitude. Go earn blessings. When we work, it is amazing. We don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves. End of sermon. All right. So my last question is this, because let's say that we have somebody who's fully embraced the QBQ. They, they, they take that personal accountability. They're putting in the work. They're doing everything. They're asking the right questions. And they look over, and there's people all around them that aren't doing that. And it gets to the point where they get frustrated. They, get, they feel like, you know what, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm kicking butt, and I'm helping this organization grow. But I got all these other people around here. How do you deal with that frustration? What, what are some steps that you can take if you fully embraced the accountability and owning it, but then there's, there's other people around there that you know that are not doing that sure. and, and, and just essentially um, riding on the coattails. How do you deal with that frustration? Well, as I, as I tell people when I get a question like that, it depends on the relationship. If I'm managing Evan and Evan's a whiner and lazy and coming in late, not doing his job, then I have a management obligation to address that. But if I'm a colleague to Evan and we sit in separate cubicles and, Kev, and Evan is a whiner and lazy and coming in late to work, none of my business. See, one of the powers, power of, the power of QBQ is always remembering I can only change me. And so the more I just stick to my knitting, keep to my knitting, that's an old phrase, maybe Oklahomans <laughs> know that, and just take care of me, asking what can I do to be my best today? How can I contribute? I put that on Facebook just on Monday morning. Hey, it's the first day of the week. Let's not worry about other people's work. Let's do our best work. That's personal accountability. But there's another message here that's taught in the QBQ book, and it's also covered in my book called Outstanding, Outstanding 47 Ways to Make Your Organization Exceptional. We haven't talked about that, and that's fine. It's at qbq.com. But we, we, we blow it up. We expand it in that book, the outstanding book. And that's, it's this, my favorite meeting theme, believe or leave, believe or leave. So, hey, young people, if you are in an organization right now today and you're listening to this podcast and you do not believe in the mission, you do not believe in the organization's vision, if you do not believe in the people you're working with, if you do not believe in the products and services you're offering, if your own personal belief is shaky, your confidence is down, you're not getting coached, you can choose to stay and be a complainer and do the water cooler whining thing, or you can choose to know that you have great God-given talent and you can go do this somewhere else. Believe or leave. I've been teaching that for 20 years, and I've had more people email me and they say, John, when I heard you say that, I realized I no longer believed in my employer, this institution, and it was time for me to make a change. And boy, that's fun because life is too short to not make the changes we need to make. John, thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for uh, kind of opening up a little bit of a window into what the QBQ is. Uh, go ahead and share with the group how they can either get a hold of you, how they can find your resources. What are the best places to, to link up with you? Sure. I appreciate that, Evan. Thank you, Matt. QBQ.com. It's just that simple. Sure, all the books can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Books A Million and all those retailers. But if you come to QBQ.com, then you'll be directed uh, to our store, and you can read about the books, and you can um, go through those links and go off to various resellers. And we have one new product I'll mention. It's called, creatively, it's called the QBQ Workbook. 
for years we've been asked to put together a piece that helps people self-study or self-study with a team. So we built the QBQ workbook. It just came out. It's on the web. You can buy it anywhere. And that is a wonderful piece that goes along with the QBQ book. And the key to that QBQ workbook is it really makes me think and apply the content deeply so I can have change in my life. Awesome, John. Thank you for for joining us. Uh, I do want to dive into Outstanding. Uh, I have not read that one yet, so give me a little bit of time to dive into that one. And if you're if you're open to it, once we get through that book, uh, I'd love to have you come back on and, and talk about that as well. Be happy to. Thank you. All right, young businessman. If you haven't learned by now or haven't figured it out, there is a bunch of knowledge gold here. John is just full of fantastic information. I strongly encourage you, if you have not read the book QBQ or if you're not linked up with John, be sure to do so. I'm going to put uh, all the links in the show notes so you guys can check those out. We appreciate you tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.